Greetings, brethren. Welcome to the last day, the seventh day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this day is a very important day, especially in the times that we are living in. And so the title of this is, All Things Are Possible with God. Or, we can have another title. Is anything too hard for God? Or, is anything impossible for God? So that's the lesson we're going to learn today. And especially with everything that's going on now, we need to understand how we need to look to God for everything. So we have the command in Leviticus 23 concerning the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So let's read it here. Beginning in verse 6, In the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, and after sunset tonight, you can have leaven. Okay. The first day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall do no servile work therein. And then all during the week there were offerings and and sacrifices and things going on every day. And so, at the temple, different ones brought things on different days. You obviously couldn't do it all in one day, or all on the single days of the seven days of unleavened bread. You had to, it had to be parceled out through the whole time. And then it says here, verse 8, but you shall offer an offering by fire on, uh, to the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is the holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Well, today is the seventh day. And we know in taking up an offering that we need to also look at it as God blesses us. And in thanksgiving and in serving God with all our heart and mind and soul and being. Yeah, he commands us here in Deuteronomy 16. So let's just review that again. Okay, Deuteronomy 16. And let's pick it up here. Verse 16. Three times in a year shall all your males appear before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose. Now today, it's wherever the brethren meet together. And God comes spiritually to be with us. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in the Feast of Weeks, in the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Every man or every one shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you. And that's the way it needs to be. And we find in the New Testament that Paul writes, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And so we just need to realize that the blessings of God come over the time 
of the during the year as we stay close to God. And there are many things that are blessings that are not monetary. And one of the things that's important for us to do is to have the prayer and study and yieldedness to God so that we believe every word of God, not like Franklin Graham has been having with his nice little prayer. And he holds up a Bible and he says, we believe the Bible, the word of God. He's a liar. He doesn't believe the Bible. He doesn't believe in the Sabbath. He doesn't believe in the holy days. No. Remember, Protestantism is only an extended form of Catholicism. Never forget that. So we will give because we're serving God. We will give because we love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and being. And we depend upon God for everything. So with that said, we'll take a pause and take up an offering. Now, when we come to the seventh day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we have quite a history of what we need to cover. And also, it shows us, and this is why we have it every year, that we need to trust God. And trust God in the way that he wants us to trust him. Okay? And we find this, beginning in Exodus 14, the children of Israel had to pass over. They had the night to be much observed. They were moving on their way out of Egypt, and God told them, now I'm going to take you in a way, it's going to be a little difficult, but I'm going to do it with some purpose. Now, he didn't tell them everything but that's the sum of what it was. So here is what God told Moses, Exodus 14, beginning in verse 1. Exodus 14, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and go before Pi-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zevon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. Now, as we explained, the whole column of the children of Israel was quite long, many miles long. And they had counted over 600,000 people. Now, that's a lot of people. You need to think about that what a great crowd of people with everything that they had and the animals that they had were progressing down toward the Red Sea. And when they got there, it was a narrow part of the Red Sea on the western shore where there was flat land right alongside the Red Sea, and then it came back, and then mountains went up from there. So they were literally trapped when they got to that place. And God intended that 
to be so, to show the children of Israel what they need to do in their relationship with God. Now verse 3, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are trapped in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he will follow them, and I will be glorified through Pharaoh and all his army, so that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Now, this tells us there are two ways to know God. To know God that he is going to destroy everything that you have, like he did with the Egyptians, and think of all the plagues and all the things and the killing of the firstborn of man and beast and all of that that took place in the land of Egypt. And that was so they would know that the Lord is God. God Almighty, God All-Powerful, God who knows everything. And now he wanted to finish the job to show the children of Israel before they crossed the Red Sea and before they came to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, that God would lead them that God would fight for them. So let's see what happened here. So the Egyptians decided to go. They took their chariots. They took all of the, the armed men that they could with their spears and their, and their shields and everything, and they went down after the children of Israel. Verse 9, So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea besides Pi-Hiroth before Baal-Zevon. And when Pharaoh drew near, now think about this, the attitude that they had, and this is something that God wanted them to deal with at this point. Okay? And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were very afraid. Now, we're going to get into circumstances as we go down through time here at now that there will be some things we'll be afraid of. But remember, God is for you. God is with you. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Now, lesson number one, when you get into a trial, do not blame someone else. Do not blame God. Now, if God brings you through a trial or to a trial, there is a purpose in it. And we will see what that purpose is here, because this is important, okay? So they said to Moses, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness because there were no graves in Egypt? In other words, out here, there's not room for any graves, but back in Egypt, there would have been room for graves, and we could have died there. 
Why have you dealt this way with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Well, they forgot that before God sent Moses, they were crying and complaining that because they were slaves and because they, Pharaoh had them kill the firstborn of their children. See, isn't it amazing how people forget about the troubles and difficulties that they had before God called them? Well, that's exactly what happened here. They forgot. So they said, did we not tell you this word in Egypt saying, let us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? Uh-huh. See? Question. Is the suffering with the circumstances of God better than a little pleasure and hard work and serving a master? Which do you choose? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not! That's the first thing we are to understand. Do not be afraid. There are some people, because of different circumstances, they're almost afraid of everything. Well, you've got to come to God so that you are not afraid. God says, don't be afraid regardless of the circumstances. Stand still. That means don't run off and do your own thing to try and solve it your way. You take it to God, and you ask God to help you. You pray to him, you look to him, and ask him to open the door. Whatever is necessary for this to be done to help you. He will help you because, remember, all things are possible with God, and nothing is impossible with God. So he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. There comes a day when God will deliver. That's why we need to stay close to God. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall never see them again. Okay? God will take care of it. Now, you may have to suffer a little bit. You may have to work quite a bit. But God will take care of it. God will intervene. And when we cry out to him in prayer and yield to him and find the answers within the scriptures, then God will be with us. He will lead us. He will help us just like he did here. So look at the miracle that he did. Here, on the one hand, was the Red Sea, deep water. How are all the people, children, and animals going to cross on the Red Sea? Now, why did God bring us down here to this God-forsaken place? I thought we were going to the promised land. Well, <laughs> not quite so fast. It's just like conversion, see? When you're first baptized, after that, everything goes nice and smooth. And then, when you're a little stronger, you have your trials and difficulties, right? Okay. 
And remember, what did Jesus say about the way to eternal life? So straight is the way, and narrow is the gate, and difficult is the road that leads to life. But broad is the way, and easy is the way, until you're suffering your last, is the way of the world. Okay? Now notice verse 14. Now this is what we all want. Now, this is going to be hard when it comes time where they are coming after Christians, and that's not too far down the road, and where they will be coming after you to behead you. All right? That's what we find in the book of Revelation, correct? Yes. But we have the promise the Lord shall fight for you. Now, how's God going to fight for us at that time when we lose our heads? The resurrection. See, because nothing is impossible for God. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall be still. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. Now, how are they going to go forward with all of that deep water ahead of them? Okay, well, God will provide the way. And you, now here, here's quite a weapon, isn't it? He had a staff that he walked with. Okay. And you lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Now, the rod didn't do it, but God did. But Moses had to have the faith to take the rod and lift it up and hold it over the sea. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the middle of the sea. And behold, I am about to harden the heart of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get honor for myself upon Pharaoh and over all his army, over his chariots, and over his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I will be glorified through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. See? Now, they didn't expect this. See, because... God put a wall between the children of Israel and the Egyptians. And on the side of the children of Israel, it was light. On the Egyptians, it was dark. So the wind came, blew, blew it dry all night. Then early in the morning, just as it was starting to get light, they all crossed the Red Sea. Now, that was the whole column, and they went in a column this way, not in a column this way, because that would take too long to do. So they went this way and got across to the other side of the sea. Then what did God do? He lifted that veil that was between the children of Israel and the Egyptians, and the Egyptians looked at that, 
and they saw that the children of Israel got down through there and were up on the other side, and God hardened the hearts of the Egyptians so they would go into the sea. And what did he do? He took the wheels off the chariots. Okay? little sidebar. Over in the Gulf of Aqaba, on the other side of Sinai Peninsula, there are some chariots in the water under, under the away from the land. And there are some people who think that's where they crossed the Red Sea. Well, that's not. You have to get the Passover book to read that it would have been impossible for them to get to that point on the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And those chariots have the wheels on them. But it says... Their wheels came off and they drug in the mud. All right. So when that happened, here it is, verse 25. And he loosened their chariot wheels and made them go heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Okay. So now they're all down there. They thought that they were going to get across and we'll get those Israelites and bring them back and make them slaves for us. Okay? But didn't happen because God had other things in mind. Okay? So, at that point, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. And he had the rod in his hand so that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians tried to flee from it. They couldn't get away from it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the middle of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and horsemen and all the army of the pharaohs and they that came into the sea after them. There did not remain so much as one of them. Okay? But the children of Israel walked across there on dry ground. All right? So there we have it. There we have some lessons. They were all happy. They were all joyous. They were singing. They were praising God. They were dancing. It was a real big celebration. Well, three days later, three days later, they came to Mara. And the waters there were bitter. And again, they complained to Moses. Good lesson to learn. If you have difficulties and problems, Don't be complaining that other people are causing them. You go to God and you ask God to help you. He will. Okay. So when Moses came to God and said, oh, what will I do? They're all mad at me. The water is bitter. says, you take this tree over here and put it in the water and that will make it sweet. Okay. So they did and had water, all right? 
Well, then the children of Israel had their problems and their difficulties until they got down to Mount Sinai where God gave the Ten Commandments. And these are the greatest commandments of all for all time for all people. And God wanted to use the children of Israel to help bring his word to the rest of the nations of the world. But they failed. Now then, we have the church. Okay? Let's come here and let's look at it. We'll look at it on an individual basis. We'll look at it on a collective basis that all things are possible with God. Let's come to Psalm 57, okay? Psalm 57. This is quite a thing. Now, all of these scriptures here that we have, they are for our instruction, they are for our learning, and how we develop the character of God. And we cannot develop the character of God until we put our trust in God and everything that he has and does so he can help us, okay? So here, Psalm 57, verse 1. Be gracious unto me, O God. Be gracious unto me, for my soul trusts in you. There it is. Trusting in God. How? Do we know we trust in God? When we have difficulties and problems and we ask for God's solution, isn't that right? And if everything went smooth where you didn't have to depend on anything at all and God did everything for you and everything came out lovely and hunky-dory all the time, oh, would you develop any character? Would you develop trust? Okay, we'll see that here in just a minute. Okay. For my soul trust in you, yea, in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these great troubles pass by. You come to God and look to him. And remember, all things are possible with God and nothing is impossible for God. Now, verse 3. I will cry to the Lord Most High. Okay. Why? Why take it in prayer? And sometimes you look at the circumstances that they are so bad that it may seem like it's kind of a a futile thing to go to God to pray. Okay. But it's not. You go to God. You pray about it. And you keep asking. You be diligent. You keep asking. You be diligent until God provides the answer or the way of escape, whatever it will be for you. But notice this, verse 2. I will cry to God most high, to God. Now notice the rest of this verse. Who fulfills his purpose for me? Now what is God's purpose for each one of us? to be in the kingdom of God. How do we get there? With God's spirit 
by using God's Spirit to grow and overcome, grow in grace and knowledge, learn by the things that we go through. See? Now notice. He shall send from heaven and save me. He rebukes him who would swallow me up. I've seen that happen in our struggles for the truth during the many years being uh, in the church of God. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now that's how God is going to do it. Now let's come to Psalm, the third chapter. Let's see another thing here. Psalm 3. Let's look at it because this gives us a lot of instruction and knowledge that we need for any of the trials that we go through. Trusting in God. That's what the children of Israel had to do when parted the Red Sea and Moses said, Go to the other side. Okay. Proverbs 3, let's begin in verse 1. My son, what are we called in the New Testament? The children of God, and to be the sons and daughters of Almighty God. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. That's the whole purpose. And everything that we do has to be focused on that, because that's the only way that God is going to fulfill his purpose for each one of us. See, think about that. God has a purpose for each one of us. Every single one. Okay. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now, where does it say that we need to have the commandments of God? written in our hearts and our minds, Hebrew, the 10th chapter, right? Yes. For they shall add length of days and long life and peace to you. Do not let mercy and truth forsake you. Huh. Mercy and truth. You know, the parable there in Matthew 18, where God forgave this one man who owed him owed $10,000 to his debtor and couldn't pay it, and he was forgiven? Okay? Mercy, great mercy. And then he turned around and went out and came to a fellow worker who owed him 50 talents, not 10,000, but 50. And he said, have patience with me, wait, and I'll pay for it. And he wouldn't do it. So he threw him in prison. And the word came back to the Lord. Look what he's done to the, his fellow servants. And God said, if you despise my mercy and my grace, I'm going to come and punish you. And that's exactly what he did. Matthew, the 18th chapter. So you go look it up there, okay? So he says here, of the commandments of God, bind them around your neck. Write them upon the tablet of your heart. Ha, huh, does not agree with Hebrews ten sixteen. Yes, indeed. And so shall you find favor, which is grace, and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Now, that's what we need, see. Why? Because God has called us to 
rule the world. And we need to keep that in mind. God wants us to learn. He wants us to think. He wants us to think with his word, with his commandments, led by his spirit, as God fulfills his purpose for us, as we get closer to the end of our lives, etc., etc. Okay? Now, verse 5 is the key. Here's what we do. Now, tie this together with the commandment of loving God. We're to love God how? With all our heart, mind, and soul, and being. Correct? Yes. Verse 5, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Put everything in God's hand because he's working out his purpose for you. And we are all going to suffer difficult times. But God is there to help us because we trust him. So it says here, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding." Don't think you're going to find a way out of it because you're smart or you have this or you have that or you have the other. Remember, he can take it all away. Okay? In all your ways, acknowledge him. Everything that there is. Acknowledge him. There's nothing you can do without God. Why? Because he gives you life, true. And he gives you understanding, yes. He's giving you a brain to think with and a mind because you have the spirit of man and the spirit of God. So trust in him and acknowledge him in all your ways. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's what happens. That's what happens to the world. And it's happened to the church. They got wise in their own eyes. And they wanted to become more like the world. And look what that led to. Okay? Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. So it affects everything you do as a human being. Okay? So that's how we are to trust God. Now let's see that God will help us. Let's see that God is with us. Let's see how God will work all of these things out. And it's interesting, isn't it, that we find a great deal of these. In fact, most of what we're going to cover today will be in the Old Testament, see? Now, think about how much the Protestants and Catholics miss when they say, oh, well, you don't need to study the Old Testament. That has all been fulfilled. Really? Well, let's come here to Psalm 12, okay? Psalm 12, very interesting. And all of these psalms have meaning for us. So when you read and study the psalms, Put yourself in the position that it is you 
See, not what David wrote, what he wrote, but that was written for us. See? So here it is. You have difficulties, you have trials, you have things that are there, and things, you will have things come upon you that you think you cannot bear. Okay? So what do you do? Okay? Psalm 12 and verse 1. You cry out to God this way. Help, O Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the children of men. They speak falsehood, each one with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and a double heart they speak. Boy, nothing describes today's society better than that. Isn't that true? Everything is a lie. In the government, in business, in religion, in relations with each other. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things who have said, with our tongue we shall prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? See, no, you don't do that. Notice verse 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord, and set him in safety from him who puffs at him. In other words, God is going to wait till you come to him, till you pray to him, and you really mean it with all your heart, mind, and soul, and being, right? And then he will answer. He will send angels. He will send relief. He will intervene and heal. He will see you faithfully into the grave, whatever it may be. See? All right? Here's why. The words of the Lord are pure words like this silver tried in a furnace of the earth purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. Yes, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. Okay? And, as it says in verse 8, the wicked walk on every side. But that doesn't present a problem to God. Come over here to Psalm 18. This is quite a psalm. Never give up on God. And he wants us to come to that point that we trust him in everything that there is. All right? Now notice what he will do. Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. That's why loving God is so important. Because God is our strength. God's spirit in us, his word in us, his truth in us. That's our strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call on the Lord. See, that's how. 
That's what this day pictures, that we put our complete trust and our belief and reliance and everything on God to deliver us, whatever the circumstances are. Verse 3, I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Okay. Now remember, think about this. Remember the account in Daniel, the third chapter, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And how that Nebuchadnezzar made this great idol, and everyone's supposed to bow down to it and worship it? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't do it. And he came to them and said, do it or I'm going to cast you into the fire. Well, they had natural gas seeping out of the ground in Babylon. So they did have hot furnaces. Okay. So they were thrown into the furnace. Because they told Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow down to this idol regardless of what you say or do. So he threw them in the furnace. And then he looked and he saw, and instead of three, there were four. Because apparently God or an angel was in there to protect them. Okay, And then remember the case of Daniel? He was thrown to the lion's den, and nothing happened to him. The lions came up. I don't know what happened, but it was kind of like the lions came up and they were purring and he was petting them, <laughs> all that sort of thing. And Darius let him out. Okay? So you see, God puts us in those circumstances so that we won't trust in him. All right? Let's come here to Psalm, Psalm 4. Verse 1, so here's the way it is. We pray to God. We praise him. We thank him. We love him. We trust him. All of those together. Those are the greatest spiritual weapons that we have. And here's the promise. Psalm 4 and verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness, you gave me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. See? Isn't that it? God will hear. God will answer. Okay. Let's come to Psalm 37. Now think about this. All of this is found in the psalm. This is why we need every word of God. Okay. Before we get to Psalm 37, let's go ahead and uh, take a break. Then we'll come back and we'll pick it up here in Psalm 37. All right, now let's come to Psalm 37. Now, this is quite a psalm, and it really is almost worth one single message based on this one psalm. 
So what I want you to do, we'll cover the first nine verses, but I want you to read the whole thing and read that in connection with Psalm 34 as well. Okay. Psalm 37. Very important, beginning in verse 1. Do not fret yourself. In other words, don't get frustrated over anything. Because of evildoers, do not be envious against the workers of iniquity, which seems like they have everything. And why am I going through all these trials? And why am I going through all of these difficulties? Okay. Remember this. Verse 2. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. There it is again. Always trusting in God. And we learn to trust in God when difficulties come. Right? Okay. And cherish faithfulness. Now delight yourself in the Lord. Thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace. Thanks God for his love. Thank God for his, his pardon of our sins and that we can come to him and that we have the tremendous blessing of coming to God directly. I mean, directly. That's what's so important, see? Don't let these difficulties come upon you to take you down. Let them come upon you so that you use them as stepping stones to build character that will last you through all eternity. Okay? Notice this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, if you thirst for God, what his way, you will be fulfilled. And when is the fulfillment going to come? At the resurrection. That's the key. See? Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust in him, and he will bring it to pass. It will happen. That's the whole thing for the seventh day the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he shall bring forth your righteousness like the light and your judgment like the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. See, don't be like the children of Israel. When the first difficulty came along, they started complaining to Moses and wailing to God that, oh, it would have been better if we would have died in Egypt. Huh? No, not so. Now notice what we're also to do here, see? Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Do not fret yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of him who carries out wicked schemes. Don't look at the world and the prosperity that they have in the world and the success that they have in the world. That is from Satan. And that is all going to go away, poof, one of these days. And where will they be? Now, verse 8. 
Cease from anger. Don't be mad. Don't be angry. Don't get upset because you're going through a trial. It is regardless of how difficult it is for you. Forsake wrath. Do not fret yourself. It only leads to evil. Don't be frustrated in the things that come along. Don't be accusing God or accusing other people that it's everything is their fault. No, you look to God. You ask God to help you, to forgive you, to bless you, to guide you, all of these things, see? Verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off. Eventually, they will be. But those who wait upon the Lord to help and deliver them, they shall inherit the earth. Now think what that's like. You study the whole thing here, and it talks about inherit the earth, inherit the earth, inherit the earth. That's a wonderful and tremendous thing that we have. Okay? And we're going to inherit it in God's ways and God's righteousness. Okay, let's come to Psalm 35, since we're so close here. Psalm 35, verse 1. The lesson here is, you ask God to fight your battles for you. Can God take care of it better than you? Does he have more understanding than you and know the heart and mind of the person that, or the circumstances that are you're confronted with? So Psalm 35 and verse 1, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Okay. Yes, God will. All right. And draw out the, the spear. And the lance against those who pursue me say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion, those who seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and humiliated, those who devise evil against me. Let them be as chaff before the wind. Let the angel of the Lord drive them away. Let their way be darkness and slippery. Let the angel of the Lord pursue them. For without cause they have hidden their net for me, and without cause they have dug a pit for me. Okay? Apply that to Christ. Look at what he went through. Everyone all the time. You read the gospel. Almost from the first day of preaching the gospel. They sought to kill him. Okay. So make it that way, all right? Let's come over here to Psalm 30. We're going to find out God is our helper, okay? And we can count on it. Psalm 30. Notice what trouble that he was in. He was close to death. Now, I don't know how many times David came close to dying. But you read some of these psalms, and it looks like there were a number of times when he was just hanging on a thread, 
between life and death. But God intervened for him. Okay, Psalm 30 and verse 1. I will praise you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not allowed my foes to rejoice over me. Now, think about that. See, whatever your problems are, your difficulties are, whoever is against you, don't worry about it. Trust in God. He'll take care of it. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you, and you have healed me. Now, think about that in relationship to your being healed because you're sick. Now, speaking of healing, little sidebar, we must take care of our bodies. God gave us that responsibility. He's given everything we need to do it. And one of the things that are important in Psalm 104, verse 13, that God has given herbs for the service of man. There are a lot of things today that we can use in a way of herbs and supplements and vitamins to take care of ourselves. Not be like the world, sit around and eat all the rotten food that they have, drink all the rotten drinks that they drink, and then think we're going to be exempt from the troubles that they have. That's why there's so much diabetes and sickness and everything there. So today, there are a lot of us who come to the point that we need healing from God. But also, we need to take care of ourselves so that we will be taking care of our bodies and our minds the way that's pleasing to God. Verse 3, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from the grave. You have kept me alive so that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord. Look to him. Sing praises to the Lord, O you saints of his, and give thanks to his holy name. Okay? For his anger is only for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. The trials are there, but they go away. But his grace and his favor for us are for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. O oh Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried to you, O Lord, and I made supplication to the Lord. Okay? Crying out to God for his intervention, and he heard, and he came, and he turned and brought him back. Okay? So you can read the rest of the psalm there. Okay, let's come to Psalm 54. Amazing. When you stop and think of all the things that David went through, and that are recorded in the Word of God for us so that we can have hope, we can have faith, we can have trust, we can have all of these things come to us the way that God wants. See? And it's through the Word of God. And remember what Jesus said. He said, the words of God, they are spirit and they are life. Okay? 
Psalm 54, right here in verse 1. So we'll keep at it this way. Verse 1. Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your might. You don't go get vindication for yourself. God will take care of it. And when it happens, that's good. Don't get all lifted up in vain how much God has done for you, because then the vanity of self will take over, and that will begin replacing trusting in God. No, be thankful, be grateful, look to God for all things, okay? Hear my prayer, O God, and give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen up against me, and violent men seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, Selah. Now that applies directly to Jesus Christ as well. And isn't that something? Think about what David went through in writing these psalms. When I study them and read them and go over them again and again and again, I am struck by how much David went through things that were a foretype of what would happen to Jesus Christ when he was here on the earth. Quite an amazing thing, really. All right? Now, verse 4. Here's the key. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my soul. He shall reward evil to my enemies. Destroy them in your faithfulness. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble. Now, you might circle the word all. That means each and every one. And my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. God will take care of it. I could tell you some stories, but I don't want to, to tell, tell them necessarily. But I can tell you this, that when we were at our desperate point and trying to serve God and serve the people of God, God even intervened to take someone who was trying to to, uh, take over. He took care of him, and he died of a heart attack when he was young. So just remember this. God will fight for you. He will take care of it. All right, let's come to Isaiah. Book of Isaiah. Let's come to chapter 41. Okay, Isaiah 41. Remember this. All the apostles only had the Old Testament to preach the gospel. Their writings came later as God inspired them to write so that we could have the New Testament. But they preached from the Old Testament. Okay. 
Isaiah 41 and verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, you put your name there. Aren't we all servants of God? Aren't we all going to help rule during the millennium under Christ? Yes. That's why all of these things are so important, see. You are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Now, what does it say in Galatians, the third chapter? That if you are Christ, you are what? Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See? How far back do these promises go through the history of the Bible and the lives of the patriarchs? Thousands of years. But it's all coming together the way God wants it to. And it's all going to be taken care of the way God is going to do it. So God says, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called you from its uttermost parts, and I said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you, and have not cast you away. God's purpose, remember what we read? That God will fulfill his purpose for us. Okay. Verse 10, do not fear, for I am with you. Now think about this. We know in John, the 14th chapter, that Jesus said, if we keep his word, that he will love us, and the Father will love us, and Jesus said, we, both the Father and the Son, will make our dwelling place or abode with them through the power of the Holy Spirit. So think about what we have within us with the Holy Spirit when we call out to God, see? And direct access to God by his grace and by his mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, okay? Verse 10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. For I am your God, I will strengthen you. Now, these are promises of God. Are the promises sure? Are they true? Will they happen? Will they come to pass? Yes, indeed. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Let's come to verse 13, and we'll see this repeated. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Isn't that what he told the children of Israel alongside the Red Sea? Fear not, for I will fight for you. Yes, the same thing. I will help you. Verse 14, do not fear, you worm Jacob and men of Israel. I will help you. Now think on those words. Pray on those words. Keep them in your heart and mind. 
claim the promises of God. You don't go to God and demand them. You go to God and say, Lord, you have promised this. Please fulfill your word to me in the way that you desire. Give me grace and favor and help me in these trials and difficulties, see? Verse 14, fear not, you worm Jacob, men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now that's quite a thing, isn't it? Let's come to Isaiah 43, okay? And let's see what God tells us here. Let's see what God will do. Let's see how God will carry it out. See? Verse 1. Right? Right here to verse 1. Remember this. But now thus says the Lord God who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. Remember, we're the creation of God physically. And spiritually, he's creating in us now. Fear not, for I have redeemed you and have called you by your name. You are mine. Do we not belong to God? God the Father? What did Jesus say about the name that he would give to us? The name of the Father, the name of New Jerusalem, and Jesus' name and a new name for us at the resurrection. Think about that. See? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. God is with us in every trouble and difficulty. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, as it was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego nor shall the flame kindle on you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba for you. Now notice verse 4. Sometimes we just forget about what God is doing because we get so wrapped up in the circumstances that are surrounding us, and we need to look to God. Notice what God says here. Verse 4. Since you are precious in my sight, you have been honored. I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east and gather you from the west. And isn't that going to be with the resurrection? Yes, it is. And then we have God's work that he's going to do to start the millennium to bring all the children of Israel back to where they belong. Now, that's something. Okay, let's pick it up in verse 11. Verse 11. I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. The one who was the Lord God of the Old Testament became the Savior of the New Testament, see? I have declared and have saved. I have shown 
when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Now, that's the way it needs to be with us, that we present a witness, a testimony, the truth, whether delivered by message or whether written in a of the Bible, or whether written in a book, or whatever it may be, see? Verse 13, Yea, before the day was, I was he, no one delivers out of my hand, I will work, and who can reverse it? Now that's how we have strong confidence in God. And that's why we do the things that we do and know what God wants to do with us there, okay? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, verse 14, Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon and brought down all them as fugitives and the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your God, Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty rivers, who brings out the chariot and horse and his army and power. They shall lie down together and shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are snuffed out like a wick. Okay? Now that's something. There we go. Jeremiah 32, and let's pick it up in verse 17, okay? Now, here's what we are dealing with. Now, Baruch was the scribe for Jeremiah, and he got discouraged. And so God told him this, okay, so that he would be encouraged. Now, you take this as encouragement for yourself, in whatever trial or difficulty that you find yourself. Okay. Verse 17. Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and stretched out your arm. Nothing is too great for you. See? Verse 18. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay iniquity to the fathers into the bosom of their children after them, the great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Okay. Verse 19. See, now notice how Baruch approached God. That's a good way to do it, okay? Great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Now that, that's amazing. That's New Testament doctrine, see. You need to understand that. Okay, now let's come here to the, to the New Testament. Let's see what God wants us to understand. Let's come here to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Okay, now, think of all the things that the patriarchs had to go through. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And in this case, Abraham. Okay, now, God promised him when he was 85 
that he would have a child. But he didn't fulfill the promise until he was a hundred. And then he tested him. Okay. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And this is an example for us to trust in God. Okay. Let's begin in verse 10 so that we understand where God is coming from and how he's working these things for us. And God is not unrighteous to forget your work, labor of love, by which you have shown honor to his name, in that you have served the saints and are continuing to serve them. But we earnestly desire that any every one of you be demonstrating the same diligence unto the full assurance of the hope until the end. We have to be faithful to the end so that you do not become lazy, but that you might be imitators of those who've faith and steadfast endurance inherit the promises. For God, after promising Abraham, swore by himself, since he could swear by none greater. And here's what he told Abraham. And Abraham only saw part of it. But think of what Abraham is going to see when he's resurrected. And all that God has done. So he told Abraham, saying, Surely in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply you. Now, after he had publicly endured, he obtained the promise. Okay. And the promise came, but it wasn't fulfilled because it fulfilled in God's plan all the way down. For indeed, men swear by the greater and the confirmation of an oath puts an end to all disputes between them. But in this, God desiring more abundantly to show the heirs the promise of the unchangeableness of his own purpose confirmed it by an oath. So it, God is not going to change. God is not going to move away from it. God is going to help you. God is going to be with you. God is going to give you relief. God is going to grant you grace and favor or whatever needs to be. So that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. Impossible. God will not lie. All the promises are true. Everything he has said will happen to help you, to intervene for you in every way. Okay? So he says, By two immutable things it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to lay hold on the hope that has been set before us, which hope is the anchor of our soul. Okay? And Christ is the one who has entered into the Holy of Holies for us. All right. Now let's come to Hebrews, the 13th chapter. And here is a great, great, great promise that Jesus gave. 
And when you look at it in the, in the Greek, there are five nots. I will not, 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 never. Okay. That apply to Jesus helping us. Okay. In everything that we do. So let's pick it up here in verse five, Hebrews 13. Here's a promise direct from Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, who through God the Father and Jesus Christ together have given the Spirit of God to be with us in our hearts and minds. Okay, verse 5. Do not allow the love of money to influence your behavior, but be satisfied with what you have, for he has said. Now listen carefully. Claim this promise. In no way will I ever leave you. No, I will never forsake you in any way. Now, that's quite a statement. That's why all things are possible with God. So then, let us boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid What can man do to me? That's the attitude that we need to have. And when that happens, let's come back here to Romans 8 and see how that works out. Okay? Romans the 8th chapter. And because this is here for us to have faith, for us to have hope, for us to have strength. Okay? Romans 8 and verse 28. Now, this gives us great understanding for the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. God will help us in all our circumstances. He will fulfill his purpose for us. He will fight our battles for us. He will grant us relief and help in times of trouble and straits and difficulties that we get through. Okay? Verse 28. And we know that all things, everything we go through, work together for good, even though it looks very bad at the beginning. To those who love God. That's what it's all about, loving God. To those who are called according to his purpose. There it is. He will fulfill his purpose for us. Because those whom he did foreknow, he had predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Think of what the predestination of us is to be. Resurrected from the dead. To have a spirit body, a spirit mind. Understand the word of God. See all the saints of God. See all the patriarchs of God. Come back with Christ to the earth and rule the earth and end all the sorrow and wretchedness and misery and Satanism and war and death. Okay? Because those who he did foreknow, that is before the resurrection, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his own son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now whom he has predestined, these also he called. And whom he called, these also justified. 
and whom he has justified, he is also glorified by having God's spirit now and at the resurrection to be a spirit, son or daughter of God. What then shall we say to these things? Now think about it all. Everything that we have covered in this message, everything that we go through in our lives, every day, every week, every Sabbath, every year, see? What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, which he is, and he promised and declared that he is, who can be against us? He who did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also grant us all things together with him? To be heirs of all things. Think of that. Now notice, who shall bring an accusation against the elect of God? Well, Satan might try to do it, but that means nothing. Think about that, see? No one can. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? It is Christ who died, but rather, who is raised again, who is even now at the right hand of God, and who is also making intercession for us. Think about what that one verse says right there. Christ is there at the right hand of God, making intercession for us in all our troubles and difficulties. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No nor danger, nor sword, no. See, it doesn't matter. See? Verse 36, according as it is written, for your sake, the day is coming. We are killed all the day long. We are reckoned as sheep to the slaughter. But how do we look at this? What is our attitude toward us? Now, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be gruesome. But, verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Okay? So here is the whole purpose of this day. And this is the persuasion that we need to have on the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread in loving God and trusting him for all things. So Paul writes, For I am persuaded... And think about all the things that he went through and all the troubles that he did. You read it there in Second Corinthians, the 11th chapter. All that Paul suffered. See? So he says, I am persuaded that neither death, and he faced that many times, nor life, nor angel, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God says he will fight for us. He will bless us. He will heal us. He will hear us. He will answer our prayers. And this is the meaning 
of the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Stand still and see the salvation of God.